Hey, welcome to the Outside Church in Port St. Lucie, Florida, and this is our podcast. Thank you so much for checking it out. Hope it encourages you and inspires you. Here's today's message. Pastor, amen, Bishop, amen, hallelujah, Apostle, Carlos Concepcion Jr., all the way from Chicago, Illinois, come on, give it up. Get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready for the word. Come on, put your hands together for Jesus all over the room. No, I said put your hands together for Jesus all over the room. Hallelujah. I need you to look at someone closest to you, someone you haven't been talking about. Look at someone and say, I don't apologize for how I praise God today. If you knew the week that I had, you'd be praising God as well. No, that was the wrong person. You got to move your seat before we start preaching. Look at someone else and say, if you knew what I went through this week, you'd understand why I'm praising God the way I am. But he's been good to me. Amen. I'm excited to be in the house of the Lord, but especially in this house. This is a house of blessing. This is, this is a, I'm going to go ahead and say it, this is an apostolic hub because there's so much things happening here and coming out of here. And so we are grateful to God to be connected to this place and to be able to be a blessing to this place. And we thank the pastors, Israel and glory. We thank, come on, honor the pastors of this house. And as we're clapping, we also honor Brandon and his beautiful wife. Thank you so much. We love what the Lord is doing in your lives. Are you ready for the word of God today? Would you grab your Bibles with me? Grab your Bibles. And I want to arrest your attention to the book of Psalms chapter 42. Book of Psalms chapter 42. And for for the benefit of brevity and the sake of my subject, I just want to highlight Uh, Two verses, two verses today, chapter 42 of the book of Psalms, verse 1 and verse 2. Where I come from, we call worshipers like Dunamis a problem, amen. It's It's a problem. It's a good one, though, and we thank the Lord for his life as well. Chapter 42 of the book of Psalms, verses 1 and verse 2. When you have it, can you shout amen? Amen. Now there's more people here. Can you shout amen? Amen. As the deer pants, I'm reading from the NIV, for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go meet with God again? I'll repeat that. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go meet with God again? Uh, that's, that's the word of the Lord. Would you grab somebody's hand, please, and help me preach my subject? I want to talk using as a subject. I'm running on empty. I'm running on empty. Will you tell that to the person next to you? I'm running on empty. I I promise it'll make sense in a minute. I'm running on empty. Father, speak to us in the name of Jesus. We pray and we thank you. Amen and amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. I'm running on empty. I'm running on empty. My beloved brothers and sisters, if you have known me now for a little while, you know um, that I am a avid book reader. Last time I was here, uh, I believe that I suggested a few of books for your consideration and your reading. Well, I have another one that I would like to suggest to you. There's a book that was published in April, April 1st of 2010, 10 years ago, almost 10 years ago, and the book is entitled Leading on Empty. There's a book that came out. It, it's a it's a cold-blooded book, but it came out in April 1st, 2010, and it's entitled Leading on Empty. Wayne Cordario, who is the author, uh, found himself paralyzed by what he called burnout. 
He, he found himself paralyzed by burnout. He had been in ministry for close to 30 years. And 10 years after founding what is now the largest church in Hawaii, he found himself depleted. The story that he tells is that he was on his way to go to a leadership conference in California. And he stepped out one morning before the conference to go for a, a daily jog. And he found himself kneeling on the curb, crying, asking himself, what's going on with me? And that's when he realized that he had been running on empty. That's when he realized that he had been teaching on empty, leading on empty, preaching on empty. And so he came to grips with the fact that he needed to take a season of rest. He realized that he needed to take a season out of his growing ministry to be able to recharge and to refocus on what was truly important. Because sometimes, if I can make a parenthesis, a lot of us who get caught up in ministry think that we are ministry when we are actually a person and ministry is what we do. All right. You, you ain't going to talk back to me, but I'll keep preaching. He said, I, I need to take a minute to recharge and refocus on what's really important. And the story says that he was able to get back in touch with his life and he was able to find a proper balance and re-energize his life and his family and his ministry with the spirit of God through Christ in a way that propelled him forward to greater levels of of service and greater levels of ministry but he said something very important said something very poignant there is in his book a point where he says that sometimes we don't forget that we're Christian we just forget that we're human he says, we don't forget that we are Christian, we just forget that we are human. And that one oversight alone can debilitate the potential to our future. He, he, he says sometimes we don't realize that, yes, we are Christian, but we are also human. And there are some things that we have to learn to say no to. There, there, there's some places that we don't have to go to. There is some services you don't need to attend. There's some conversations that you just don't need to go to you don't have to say yes to every invitation that comes your way and accept every job offer that's put at the table and leader that's here you don't have to have your hands in every department because you will burn yourself out you have to realize that yes you are Christian we never forget that but you are a human and a human that does not take the time to pause when they feel like they are burning out will eventually debilitate the potential of their future. See, burnout has destroyed a lot of ministries, has destroyed a lot of businesses. Burnout has destroyed a lot of marriages. We've often asked ourselves the question, will a human being be able to cross or swim across the ocean? Will a human being be able to run a mile under a minute? Could a human being go six months without sleeping and the obvious answer is no but but we sometimes like to push the limits the the obvious answer is no but because of the established fact of our human limits sometimes we still like to push the envelope because because of the rapidly changing conditions of modern living largely due to progress always giving us more and more of everything faster and faster we ourselves often attempt to exceed our own human limitations in a score and plethora of areas all at the same time we we try to do everything and try to give everything a hundred percent but when we stretch ourselves thin nobody gets the best version of ourselves I'm preaching better than your prayer but I'll keep going anyway. Sometimes we attempt to exceed our limits in different areas of our life all at the same time. And the fact is that pain becomes palpable. People everywhere start collapsing at exhaustion and wonder what was it that hit 
them and the fact is the answer is what hit them was overload what hit them was burnout what hit them was exhaustion this can be defined as the point at which our limits are exceeded load is not the problem over is the problem I'm, I'm, I'm helping I'm helping somebody load is not the problem over is the problem Jesus himself said that my load is light and my burden is easy but when you overload what God has already put on you then you begin to tire yourself out we all have heard of the proverbial straw that broke the camel's back and that just teaches us that when a camel is at its maximum load a mere straw will cause its back to be broken the problem is not the load camels love to carry heavy loads the problem is when the camel has been overloaded more than it could actually carry and a lot of us have not realized that the reason why you're mad at your husband ain't even something your husband did the, the reason why you are stressed out is because you you have overloaded yourself. You're taking on your problem and your mama's problem. You're, you're, you're dealing with your children and somebody else's children. You're, you're trying to run your business and somebody else's business. And load is not the problem. But overloading becomes a situation. But the sad reality, sister, is that stress has become so accepted in our modern culture. Ah, set stress is such an accepted part of our modern culture that most of us accept stressfulness as normality God I'm, I, I'm trying to help somebody stress is such an accepted part of our modern culture that most of us find it weird when we're not stressed out some of us are so used to stress that normal scares us I'm, I'm, I'm talking to someone just look straight ahead I'm talking I'm talking to someone, but some of us are so used to being stressed and being under pressure that when things are not going wrong, when things are actually going right, we start saying, what did I do? Something's going on. Something's fishy about this. Why? Because God does not want you to be overloaded. God never intended for you to be stressed. God never intended for you to be anointed and frustrated at the same time but some of us have accepted stress as a normality in in reality though stress distorts our physical being it distorts our mental health it distorts our emotional health stress affects our attitude our marriages our work and even our ministry we we can overload ourselves to the point that we burn out and we are no longer affected for the work of God there is nothing worse than a burnt out preacher there, there, there's, there's nothing worse than a burnt out pastor there's, there's nothing worse than someone who has not realized that one their time is up or two they are overworked but some of us think that being busy is being faithful some of us think that being stressed is being successful but I came to set someone free today and let you know God never wants wanted you to push your limits God, God 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 never wanted you to overload yourself see pushing our limits maximizing everything has become the American way and as a consequence it's become the church's way as well y'all y'all don't y'all don't gotta like me I like me that's okay but but church has adapted the same American way and so we see one leader managing different departments we we see a lot of people in church but there's seven people on the leadership team and, and they're trying to balance this and trying to balance that and, and we thank them at the end of the year but they don't want to run for the next opportunity because they're so tired and overworked that they say this is not what God wanted for me maximizing everything pushing our limits has never been God's intention see we like to push the limits as far as possible we Spend more than what we have. Whether it be money, time, or energy. 
We, we spend more than what we have. But Jesus, watch, Jesus never seemed to be in a hurry. Y'all yeah, don't like me here. Jesus was never in a hurry. His mother said, look, we got no more wine. And he said, don't bother me. My time hasn't arrived yet. Je Je Jesus, Jesus was never in a hurry. Lazarus, your best friend is sick. He said, that's okay. Tell him I'm going to take two more days. But when I get there, miracles get there. When, when I show up, God shows up. And a lot of us are frustrated because we think we should be where we think we should be. But God said, no, if you take your time, it'll be better enjoyed if you go at God's pace because the worst thing you could do is go where God ain't at the, the worst thing you could do is move to a place that God never wanted you to be at but we all seem to be in a hurry we, we want it fast and we want it now church of the 21st century lives in a microwave if we don't get it right now I'm going to another church if, if they don't prophesy to me tonight and it'll manifest by Saturday then God wasn't using him but anything that God wants to do sometimes it takes some time when, whenever God is really trying to do something it takes a little bit of time because whatever comes quickly will never be valued Ah, oh, I'm gonna ruffle. I'm gonna ruffle some feathers. I'm gonna ruffle some feathers. But, but, but I got a problem with overnight ministries. I'm, I'm sorry. I, I, I'm gonna say it. It's, it's weird out here in Florida. But, but I'm sorry. You prophesied once, and you got a website now. No, you better sit your behind down and learn some character because you got anointing, but you hate people. I, I don't. I don't get it. I, I don't get it. God uses you. That's good. But you still ugly how, how could you be anointed and nasty but we're so we're so in a hurry I'm trying but Jesus Jesus was never in a hurry that watch me watch me there was no there's no indication in the Bible <laughs> that Jesus worked 24 hours a day. There's no, there's no indication in the Bible that Jesus worked a 18-hour shift. There's, there's, no, there's no indication. As a matter of fact, God himself said, I'm going to take a day off. Yeah, I, I, I'm in the Bible. I mean, he, he worked for six days, and he said, you know what? I'm so bad by myself. I'm going to take Sunday off. I'm, I'm just going to put my feet up and let the world do what it's going to do because the reality is I hold it together. See, and a lot of us, think that we need to continue to be doing things that we got to work till our bones are hurting us that we got to break night praying and fasting it's all good it's great pray do all those things but to overwork yourself is not God's intention he went to sleep every night and there were still people sick and he was unbothered y'all don't like me here he didn't pray for everybody who came to the front, and he was okay with it. Yeah. He, he didn't deliver everybody, but he was still okay. There were still people with diseases in Israel, and he still slept fine. And you're worried about someone who asked you to pray for them when they don't pray for themselves. Yeah. He followed God's agenda. And he was never rushed or in a hurry. He was being perfectly effective. Because Jesus understood what it meant to be human. Jesus understood what it meant to live with limits. Jesus knew what it meant to prioritize and balance in light of the limits that he had. And how to focus on what was truly important. Our Lord realized that busyness is not really godliness. It's, it's religious that you, that you need five services in one week. Look, look straight ahead. Look, look straight ahead. Look, 
look straight ahead. So, so, some of us, some of us are not, we're not okay with just two Sunday services. We're, we're not okay with just two services a week. And, and that's because religion has become your spiritual fix. God, I, 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 you're, you're, you're trying to pimp God out because you need to come to church. You say, God, use me. But what you really mean is, God, I want to use you. Yeah, that, that, that's, that's what you really mean. But, but God, God taught us through the life of Jesus how it is to live in a godly agenda understanding our limits and prioritizing what is important that busyness did not really mean godliness Jesus was more concerned with the quality of life God wants us to be fruitful watch and he wants our fruit to remain and not to be burnt out but by contrast, we're all in a hurry. N nearly everyone I know has a full plate of something. Um, most of us haven't completely thought through the, the performance, the implication, the saturation of stress that's over us. We continue to say yes, even when yes is no longer an option. You, you, you really want to say no, but you're so used to saying yes. Once, once we cross the threshold of our limits and we know that we can't take it anymore, we still decide to put more things in our plate and more things in our our lives and the reality is we can't factor anything more into our lives than until we take something away God cannot give you what he wants to give you until we begin to take things off of our place as basic as that principle seems it still is largely disregarded God cannot use you the way God wants to use you if you are completely saturated with all of the things going on in your life you have to free yourself from needing to please everybody and constantly having to be busy because all you should worry about is that I'm doing what God wanted me to do all you should worry about is that when you get to heaven and God asks you what did you do with what I gave you you can say Lord I use all of it and I didn't hold back on any of it but it's hard for you to use what God has given to you when you are using what people are handing over to you but God is here to speak into the life of someone to let you know this is not the season for you to be running on empty God does not want us to continue to be burnt out God does not want us to be downcast God does not want us to be depressed and this is exactly what we see in the text that we have selected to feel burnt out to feel downcast and even to feel depressed is what we discover in this 42nd psalm there's the story the chapter it tells us that in two occasions this individual says why are you downcast oh my soul he said I'm down I'm I'm depressed I'm, I'm burdened. I'm burnt out. The reality is that it has been long debated that chapter 42 and chapter 43 when it first was written was one psalm but when the Bible came into existence and it went through the process of the canon they divided both of these chapters but you will see the same thought you will see the same theme in both of these chapters in 42 and in 43 the psalmist is saying the writer is saying I'm feeling depressed I'm feeling burnt out I'm feeling down I'm feeling like I can't move on the question then is why was the writer feeling depressed for one thing God seemed far from him in his hour of need to him he felt like God was far away from him in his own words he says that he felt like a thirsty deer in the desert searching for some water he he said Lord I feel like you're nowhere next to me I feel like you've walked away from me I feel like I'm lonely and I'm abandoned but but the Lord was really never far away from him just like he's never far away from you yes there will be times and seasons where it feels like 
no matter how much you pray, no one answers you. No matter how many altar calls you pass forward to, they pray for the person on your right and on your left and they just touch your head and send you back to your seat and you say, Lord, it feels like you've forgotten about me. But the fact of the matter is that God is even nearer to you in those moments than you actually can realize. If you can just open your eyes and see, you will recognize that God is even the more closer to you. But the writer's depression was aggravated even more because he began to look back at the old days. The writer's depression was aggravated because he began to look back at the good old days. Look at, look at the text. Look at the text. Chapter 42. It says that he longed to return to Jerusalem and to be able to minister in the temple. He, he wanted to go back into the presence of God. He wanted to go back into the presence of God. Sometimes, sometimes, this, this ain't for everybody, but sometimes change, change will make people depressed. Sometimes, sometimes retirement or a move of residence will, will make people depressed. The reality is the older we get, the less we enjoy changes. The more that we mature, the less we enjoy changes. And he was at a place in his life that so many things were changing around him that he could not make it to the temple of God. He could not minister in the house of God. And if that wasn't enough, people started coming close to him and discouraging him. The Bible says that there was discouraging talks of other people that was a third contributing factor. Not only did he feel like he was down and burnt out, not only could he not go to the house of God anymore but then people started asking him where is your God people started asking him has God forgotten about you but the story says that he spoke to himself he he talked to himself he encouraged himself in three occasions twice in chapter 42 and once in chapter 43 he began to encourage himself the question of why why are you down? Why are you depressed? Why are you burnt out? Was not because he was complaining. It was because he was preaching to himself. He, he was trying to encourage himself. See, most of us, you can look straight ahead and act like this ain't you. But a lot of us, we talk to ourselves from time to time. Yeah, just, just be real. Just It's okay if you have a conversation with yourself. You ain't crazy. I, I, I came to help somebody today. Most most of us, most of us talk to ourselves from time to time. Many of us have said, I need to give myself a good talking to. Why, why, why do I feel like this? Why am I going through this? Talking to yourself is not necessarily, in fact, a sign of madness. Talking to yourself is actually an expression of sanity. Yeah, uh, talking to yourself is not that you're crazy. Talking to yourself is you saying I'm sane, I'm healthy. See, psychologists say that sometimes we need to talk to ourselves to remember certain things. That's why you'll catch a husband in a supermarket and he's standing in front of the same can of beans that he always buys, but he's having a conversation with himself because he's saying, if I bring home the wrong beans, I might get hit with the same can so which is the one that she told me to bring back home but talking to yourself is not madness talking to yourself is an expression of sanity sometimes you ask yourself questions sometimes you reason with yourself sometimes you gotta talk yourself out of a bad emotional state sometimes you gotta talk yourself into a better frame of mind sometimes some of y'all don't know what it is but a lot of us have got to talk ourselves out of the bed because we've gone through so much hell that if I don't encourage myself I'll stay right here in this state of depression I'm not preaching to everybody but some of us know what it is to have to encourage ourselves when no one supported you when, when nobody backed you when, when no one was around you you spoke to yourself and, and said I'm too anointed to be 
anonymous. I, I, I'm too gifted to stay behind. I, I don't need nobody to support me. I support myself because I know that God has called me for a time like this. And that's what the writer was doing. The writer was giving himself a good talking to. The, the writer was encouraging himself. The writer was preaching to himself. Have you, have you ever been there, Brandon? Have, have you ever been there? There's been so many times that all of the messages that I preach to everybody else, I've, I've had to stand in the mirror and say, you just preached about this. So, so you better put yourself together and, and go out there and believe God. Have, have you ever realized that some of your best messages was never preached to people? So, some of your best messages, you had to preach it to your I, I think I got to feel you in here. There's some sermons someone will never hear. There, there's some songs someone will never listen to because God gave it to you to encourage yourself. What do you do? What do you do when you're downcast? What, what do you do when you're burnt out? What? What do you do when you're depressed? Yeah, 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 yeah. Because a lot of us, when we hear the word depression, we quickly want to rebuke it. But but sometimes, sometimes God doesn't even remove your depression. Yeah, y'all don't like me in here. So, so sometimes God says, okay, I recognize your feelings, but I haven't changed my mind about you. I, 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 I need you to continue to minister the way you are and preach the way you are. You look lost. All right, get over here, Elijah. Elijah had just had his best moment in Mount Carmel and this woman called Jezebel told him in 24 hours I'm going to do the same thing to you that you did to my prophets and now the man that called fire down from heaven was hiding under a tree and God said no 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 I called you to be in the public light and he said no I'm depressed I feel alone there's nobody else like me and God said eat and drink because I still got a lot to do with you and he got up and walked into a cave and God walked into the cave with him and he said God you don't get it I don't want to preach anymore because they got a bounty on my head I, I'm the only one that's been faithful to you and God said let me let you in on a little secret there's about 7,000 other people that feel just like you and they're still preaching so put yourself together and keep on you still look lost the prophet Jeremiah that he had a conversation with God and he said God look you and me we got a problem because every time you give me a sermon it's never anything good every time you ask me to preach it's always judgment and it's always punishment and it's always death and persecution and everybody hates me watch me because of you and so you know what I don't even want to preach no more don't don't call me don't sell me out don't tell nobody God's with you. I don't want to hear none of it. But before he could end his conversation, he said, but suddenly there was a fire inside of me that did not let me stop preaching because God sees your feelings, but he doesn't change his mind about it. You still look lost. Get over here, Paul. Paul prayed three times, God, get this thorn out of my side. And God never took it out. He only gave him more grace. He said three times I prayed for you to get this out of me. And God never took it out. He only gave him grace. Watch. To manage the pain. Yeah. He's, he said I'm not removing it. Because if I remove it you'll get prideful. You know. Y'all don't like me in here. He, 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 said, he said, if I remove it, then you'll forget where it is you came from. If, 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 if I remove it, get, get over here, Jacob. Jacob knows about it because Jacob asked God to bless him because all his life, all my life, I had to fight. Y'all don't know what I'm talking about here. He said, I've been fighting. I've been running. I've been dealing with family and messed up situation. All I need you to do is bless me and watch. God blessed 
blessed him. How? By breaking him. You, you didn't hear me. He, he, he said, Lord, bless me and bless me now. And when did God bless him? If you read the story, God never declared a blessing over him. This is how God blessed him. He broke his leg. Why? Because Jacob had a tendency to run when things got hard. But God said, I don't want you running anymore. I want you to face it. So here's my blessing. I will break you so you can function. So what do you do? When you're depressed, when you're downcast, when you're burnt out, you put your hope in God. You, you look at the future and not at the past. When you feel drowned by circumstance, you, you got to keep in mind that they are his waves and those are his storms. He, he knows what's best for you. You have to stop feeding your feelings and start feeding on his word. I'll say it again. You, you got to stop feeding your feelings and you need to start feeding on God's word. God will guard you. God will guide you. No matter how miserable you may feel, God is greater than your feelings. Sometimes, sometimes I've learned that prayer does not change situations, but prayer changes me until God changes the situation. We, we are called to walk by faith and he will see us through I repeat it to you the story the chapter tells us that the rider was feeling burnt out he was feeling downcast he was he was feeling depressed that's that's what we see in this psalm because in Psalm 42 here it is we find ourselves with a leader who is on empty we find ourselves with a leader who is dry and thirsty. The leader, the leader is experiencing a wilderness period, a period and season that every leader is going to go through at some point of their life. A point where nothing seems exciting, a, a time where nothing seems motivating. In verses 2 to verse 4, the writer seems to be saying, I used to lead the people in a parade to God and now I can't even find God myself. He says, I used to lead them, but now God feels lost to me. But fortunately, this leader recaptures his perspective. Because in verse 5, he begins to tell himself the truth. And in the final verse, he concludes that God is the only one that will prevail. What I love about this psalm and the book of Psalms is that Psalms always shows us the humanity of the worshiper. The book of Psalms always teaches us that you could be real with God and God is embodied by your honesty the leader in this chapter realized that he cannot lead the people any further than where he stands himself he said I can't take the people where I haven't been myself yeah I'll say it again some of you are going to catch it on your way back home he said I cannot lead the people where I myself have not gone I, I used to lead them into the presence of God but I haven't been there in a long time so I can't lead them anymore I, I, he, look, look watch he refused to fake it he said I don't want to pretend that everything is okay and before I can lead anybody else God I need you to find me because the reality is I've been leading on empty. I've, I've been preaching on empty. I've, I've been worshiping on empty. And I just need a renewal from God. Psalms 42 takes some common experiences that we all have of disappointment with God and with others. It builds on the basic revelation that we were created for a relationship with God and with people. 
And in this chapter, the psalmist uses three metaphors to shed light on this relationships. First, he starts off by talking about a thirsty deer in the first metaphor. He said, what water is to the deer is what God is to you and me. We, we simply need God. We, we simply must have God. It is, it, it, and it is a must to be a living God, to be in his presence. We, we don't want anything stale. We, we don't want anything stagnant. The deer passes through all the mud puddles and, and all the swamps and, and all the marshes to clear flowing streams of water. He, he doesn't want nothing murky. He, he doesn't want anything dirty. He doesn't want waters that are stagnant. He wants clear flowing alive rivers and streams and, and the reality is that that has been a lot of our prayers in this last month because we have told ourselves I don't want anything that isn't alive. I, I don't want anything that's left over from God. I, I don't want last week's thunder shower. I, I, I want something fresh. I, I want something flowing. I, I want something living. Here it is. What I learned in Sunday school in third grade is not going to satisfy me in this season of my life. Once you have had a taste of excellence, mediocrity sickens you. Once you've had a taste of real, once you've had a taste of what's alive, you won't settle for stagnation anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what, what I read in the Bible last week ain't going to satisfy me this week. Yeah. The experience I had with God yesterday is, is not going to satisfy me today. What, what someone told me this morning on the television, on the radio, on a podcast, that, that's not going to quench my thirst today. I, I want to get real water. I want to get living water. And I, and I want to get it for myself. The, the writer says, I got to have God. I need to have God. I want to have God. Every thirst, every, every hunger, every longing for for satisfaction is a metaphor to the foundational longing of our lives for a real relationship with God. He said, I cannot continue to live my life knowing that I am on empty. I need God to renew me once again. I've poured myself over people. I've poured myself over audiences. I've preached till I got no more strength and I cannot move on until God God renews me again and I came to speak to a tired leader under the sound of my voice. I, I came to speak to a preacher under the sound of my voice. I, I came to speak to a worshiper that's been running on empty. This is your season for rest and for renewal. This, this is your season that you will be okay with saying no because God is going to set you up for a renewal. His second metaphor is a violent storm because he understood that when life becomes more than what we can handle, when life becomes more than what we can handle, we need to cry out for help. But that very experience implies that life can be handled. Yeah, that the experience of inadequacy implies the possibility of adequacy. I'll say it again because you didn't hear. The experience of inadequacy implies the possibility of adequacy. What, what we call trouble, living through circumstances that are beyond our strength and ability will actually lead people of faith to discover God's strength. What we call a situation, God calls an opportunity. What you call a thunderstorm, what you call a violent storm, God calls an opportunity to be able to lead you to a new experience 
with him what you think is a bad moment God can turn it around and use it for your good that, that's what the psalmist understood that's what the writer did when he felt like he was overwhelmed by the white cap swells of life he, he climbed into the lifeboat that was God when, when he felt like life was hitting him too hard when, when the storm was too much more than he anticipated more that he could handle he said I climb into the lifeboat that was God because in there the storm could be weighted out in there the storm could be trusted into his hands in there I could believe that he is the God who covers us and manages the storm he is the one that tells the waves to be quiet and the storm to come to an end lawless society was his third motive, motive, metaphor first the deer second the storm but then society society around us is filled with deceptive people who, who are out to get all of us we, we, we know that there is a cure for injustice. We know that there is a solution to oppression. We know that there is an answer to unfairness. The, the, the malice that we see around us. The wickedness that we see around us. And the crime that goes on around us are just symptoms for which God has already given us the diagnosis to. Just as every experience of need opens us up to receive help so it is that every act of injustice creates an opportunity to be able to share the gospel of grace to be able to share God's deliverance to other people this is what the story is teaching us but if you paid attention if if you paid attention to my choice of words you will notice that I use the word writer and psalmist because this psalm 42 was not written by David if you heard everything I said this psalm was not written by David never did I say David never did I talk about David I said the writer or the psalmist why because when we look at this Psalms 42 this Psalms 42 starts off at the beginning it's subtitle after we see its enumeration it tells us that this was a song that was written by the sons of Korah yeah, the, the sons of Korah this is where I find my Bible readers and those who never read it the sons of Korah Brandon had an infamous past because their ancestor Korah led more than 200 of Israel's most important leaders into one of the worst rebellions in the book of Exodus yeah yeah it was it was Korah that led 200 leaders to rebel against the man of God and God severely judged Korah and his followers how? By opening up the earth, splitting it open and swallowing all of them with him. But watch the story says that although Korah and those leaders died, his family still survived. And years after his family survived, they became descendants among the Levites. Watch that David anointed to oversee worship. Ah, good God Almighty. Watch, watch, watch. This is how their inception was. This is what their beginning was. Their beginning was a beginning of rebellion. But when God took care of their family past, their family history, he rewrote the story of their life and introduced them to a new office and a new season. They used to minister on the outside of the tabernacle 
tabernacle and lead the people into the presence of God. But now God was making them to oversee worship in the house of God. Watch the sons of Korah composed, arranged, and performed the songs of 11 psalms that we find in the Bible. Psalms 42 to 49, Psalm 84, 85, 87, and 88. All of these songs were written by the sons of Korah. Pastor Carlos, you lost me. All right. Here comes the school bus to pick us all up. This teaches us the sons of Korah illustrates to us how God can set us free from a tragic family line. Yeah, yeah, there, yeah, yeah. This story teaches us, this psalm teaches us that your family history is no longer a valid excuse for God. Yeah, yeah. This story teaches us how God can move a family past a tragic legacy. The, the past does not need to determine the future. By, by honoring the Lord, the sons of Korah became known not for their ancestors' revolt, but for their sons' revival. You didn't hear me. They, they, they were known for rebellion, but now they were known for worship. They, they were known for starting a revolt but now they were the ones that brought the presence of God into the house of God I'm out your way I gotta go get something to eat but the Bible teaches us that the talented Levite family gives us hope because our family history may include violence it may include substance abuse it may include emotional turmoil your family may have some crime running through it there might be some prejudice divorce might be a part of your family but there is no family that without God's grace and help can overcome the sin of your past generation because the sons of Korah hallelujah with God's help they came out healthy and holy They came out untouched. They came to a place where everything we know about hungering for God was written by them. Their, their, their father, their ancestor started rebellion and was punished. But they did not allow for their family history to determine their family's future. They said, it stops with us. You, you, you didn't hear what I said. Brother, play me something romantic so we could get out of here. He, he said, it stops with us. It stops with us. I, I don't care how many people in your family got divorced. Your, your grandma got divorced. Your titi got divorced. Your sister got divorced. But you got to understand, the buck stops with me. Nobody else in my family is getting divorced. I know your grandma died of cancer. Your grandma grandfather died of cancer but you need to prophesy over yourself cancer has no part with my I know poverty was something that was in your family I, I know that you know what it is to run on EBT and section 8 but I came to prophesy that the sons of Korah are awakening I, I came to speak over somebody that there's a new legacy awakening of Levites Stand to your feet all over the room. You, you don't need to run on empty. You don't need to continue looking at your life and knowing you got nothing else to give and still trying to give. You got to realize I'm empty. I need to be renewed. You got to realize that where you were doesn't determine where you're going. That what you've been through does not speak to where God is taking you. That's a bad thing to know that you're empty and still try to pour yourself out. 
Because then you're ministering from a place of nothing. And you leave frustrated because you had nothing to give in the first place. It wasn't that God wasn't speaking. It's that you had nothing to communicate. I wish, I wish that we would stop burning ourselves out. I wish that we would be okay with saying no to people. You don't, preacher that's here, leader that's listening to me, you don't have to preach in every service. You, you don't have to take on every task. No, pastor, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do it until I break night. No, go to sleep. Go to, go to sleep. No, no, my, my family understands the sacrifice. Yeah, but what good is ministerial success on the sacrifice of a family altar? What, what, what good is it? That you love God and your children hate you. What, what good is it? What, what good is it? What, what good is it? That, that, that you don't take time to replenish yourself to fill yourself back up there's always going to be a church to preach at there's always going to be work to be done but there's only one you and if you burn yourself out who will do what God called you to do what's the rush what what, 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 what is there to attain other than a, a, a crown when we get to heaven? Young, young people, what, what, where are we going? Slow down. And lead people only to where you have gone. If you haven't gone there, you can't lead from there. Don't talk to me about deliverance if you haven't been delivered. Don't talk to me about revival if when you sing, don't nothing move. Don't, don't talk to me about it. Don't talk to me about healing if you get a headache and you run to some pills. Don't, don't talk to me about nothing you haven't been in yet. Because the fundamental law of teaching is I can only impart what I possess. But if you no longer possess, why are you still imparting? Why are you still laying hands? Why are you still ministering? There's nothing wrong. I feel them all over this place. There's nothing wrong with taking a break. There's nothing wrong with catching some rest. There's nothing wrong with waiting. Read the story. Read the chapter three times. He says, why are you down? Wait on the Lord. See, you got to understand something about the Bible, especially Hebrew language. Hebrew language always had imagery. So when you hear the word wait... You're expecting someone to be standing. But waiting and doing nothing are two different things. Because waiting for them still meant that they would be active. They would just be watching. Waiting for them still meant that they could keep worshiping, but they were still watching. So as God is telling you to wait, to rest, he's not telling you to take time off. You still are who he said you are. But you need to replenish yourself. So many of us are running on empty. Life has beat us. This, this year has hit us hard. It's okay. You could fake it with a different preacher. I can read right through you. Life has hit us hard. And a lot of us come here and we lift up our hands, but we leave the same way because we're empty. 
the writer said, I don't want to be where I came from. And I don't want to leave the way I walked in. If I don't get God, I don't want anything else. I don't care what people say to me. I don't care what song they sing to me. I don't care what message they preach to me. All I want to know, here it is. When is the next time I can meet with God? Because the only fix, the only cure for someone who is empty is a fresh encounter with God. The only thing that could lift up a broken heart is a fresh encounter with the presence of God. All over this room, I want you to close your eyes. Lift up your hands. Worship team is coming up. But I want you to take at least 60 seconds, hear me, for you to look at your own life and your own heart and for you to ask yourself, have I been running on empty? Have I been doing a lot, busy, busy, moving and shaking, and I haven't realized I'm running on E? A lot of you know what that is. Don't go too spiritual or too far. You know what it is to get up every day and go and do and work and come back. And then one day you get in the car and realize, oh, I need to put gas. Because your busyness distracted you from effectively moving from one place to another. You've been so busy trying to do everything that you've really done nothing. You need to be replenished. You need to be renewed. You need a fresh touch from heaven. For the next season of your life, you need a fresh impartation. So as the worship team gets ready to lift us up into the presence of the Lord, I need you to take about 60 seconds and look at your own life as the sons of Korah did. They asked themselves, they, they spoke to themselves, why am I downcast? Why, why do I feel like this? Why, why am I burnt out? What, what have I been doing to put me in this place? And when is the next time that I can meet with God? My soul is downcast. I'm, I'm thirsty for a fresh encounter with God just like a deer longs for fresh water. And I can't go another day and another moment without having an encounter with Him. If that's you, I'm talking to you today. I want to meet you here at this altar. I want to pray for you. I want to pray with you. You cannot continue to run on empty. God wants you to wait.